0: Welcome to Foreman and Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Chef Cindy Wolf.
1: And I'm Tony Foreman.
0: And today I get to ask Tony a lot of questions about strawberries and whiskey. Oh, I'm just trying to figure out if those two things <laughs> go together. Do they go together, Tony?
1: It really depends upon how good of a day you want to have. Yeah, right? Well, <laughs> I think
0: it could improve in uh, well,
1: both directions. It could. It could well, uh, we talked With about or without these, each other. We talked about these as separate topics.
0: Yes, I know. I'm just teasing. We're about to come up to strawberry season, so obviously we want to talk about that so we can give people some ideas of...
1: It's a highly dramatic strawberry season.
0: Things to do. I know, because we had that cold weather. We had that, all the frost, and um, we we had that weird day where it snowed and hailed and rained and the sun shined all in one day and had crazy temperature fluctuations. So we've had a kind of tough spring for our farmers, I think. We talked to
1: it. It's going to be tough. I think mostly it's been a good spring. The questions are going to be about when flowering happened on a lot of the fruit trees did that happen correctly without frost? That's like. Yeah. You have to check that off the box. Something didn't happen the right. I mean' that's, well I, every year it's not going to be a great year for everything. So something was an issue. Strawberries, at least in some areas, had frost, and, and to, you know it's a ground crop, so that's part of the danger for that, and takes up a tremendous amount of ground, difficult to cover, and a lot of the fruit had already set and was starting to grow. We have other folks down in, in virginia
2: mm-hmm.
1: the uh, a little warmer. Little warmer, little, little less frost. Good. Okay. Good. <laughs> Fruit a little bit further along, and little less frost, and so we'll see very shortly. Probably today will be the it will be the, like the you know yes or no day for those strawberries. They'd be hitting markets, and and uh, and the thing with strawberries, it what tells you about not just the season but the quality of the strawberry, is how red is it all the way through. Sure. It's easy to go and see a display of strawberries in a grocery store or on a market stand, you see the red on the outside, and you think, oh, great, they're red, they're strawberries. Right, you know? right. Red lights, stop here, buy strawberries. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what you have to do is you have to split them open, you have to see. I don't,
0: Tony, I don't think you're allowed to do that at the grocery without you, your knife, well, cut off the top, cut the strawberry in half in the grocery aisle.
1: You can use your nose, though. <laughs> All
0: right, we, we can do that. Use our noses. smell things. But right. well, you
1: do get some funny looks from people in produce. Yeah, maybe. But and you, pick up you don't really care, smelling. do you? I not for no, a second. I didn't you think so.
0: That. Nope. Yep, I got it.
1: I'm like that really no, awkward soccer manager. You're, <laughs> you're getting close. I'll do anything. I don't care. There is a tremendous difference between, like
0: between a strawberry that has a white center and a red center.
1: Well, absolutely, that's that's an easy indicator. Yeah, and yeah. the aroma is the other one. The aroma. Right. With everything, I mean, yeah, the, but the aroma, and if you really, really like, if you have really great reading glasses, like I do. You can zero them in, your x-ray vision, (laughs) onto the seeds of the strawberries and see just how ripe the seeds are. And if they're hard and woodsy looking or if they're still green or white on the outside or if they're actually red like the rest of the strawberry, like a deeper red. Mm -hmm. Almost sort of like, you know, very monotone, monochromatic polka dots. Monochromatic polka dots. This is the most elaborate radio description of ripeness <laughs> of strawberries in history. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you're welcome.
0: Okay. So <laughs> so what do you make
1: with strawberries? Oh what my is gosh. your favorite thing?
0: Well, one of the things
1: I... When I, they're actually ripe and they everything matches and they have they're polka dots and all
0: that. Well, I love to make strawberry ice cream. I mean, of course, we like to eat them on their own. Um, and I love to macerate strawberries in port or in fresh lime juice and sugar.
1: Please explain maceration.
0: Maceration is the act... Of a chef actually applying. Or, or,
1: or any other person.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just probably a couple tablespoons of alcohol tossed in with your fruit or, you know, the what happens is obviously it starts to break down the fruit a little bit and you get this wonderful flavorful juice that happens and you no longer just have a strawberry, but you have a strawberry uh, and, a, and almost a liquid scented with strawberries and then whatever the booze is. So in it, this in case, a- it could be port or it could be Madeira or Marsala, or your whiskey does or, it, does it have to be which booze? I've never done. I don't know about whiskey.
1: What's that? Does it have to be booze? Could it be simple syrup? Well,
0: no, and that's what I was saying. I also do it with lime juice and sugar. I <laughs> love strawberries and lime. I just think lime is, I know this is a simple statement, but I think lime is a beautiful citrus fruit and I think it's far more interesting than lemon and and lime just is, you know, brings out the beauty of the fruit. So I like a little sugar, a little lime juice and strawberries. And that's great breakfast.
1: I mean, Chef Cindy Wolf bringing up the, the self-image of limes everywhere.
0: I, I'm going to grow them, hopefully, in my solarium. Yeah. And actually, my what fruit trees. Are you, you, you going to
1: grow tobacco and cigars, <laughs> too? I mean,
0: I'm going to try and you grow every, anything I can. <laughs> I'm so excited. Um no, I don't think I'll be growing any tobacco anytime soon. That, that kind of goes against my grain. Sorry. But yeah, watch, anyway. Watch out for oh God, dinosaurs, no, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> but um, yeah, but macerating in, in some sort of alcohol or um, making sabayon, which is awesome, or making biscuits and strawberries, of course, shortcake, uh, making pound cake and strawberries, garnishing with strawberries.
1: But you would macerate the fruit first and then garnish whatever with the fruit. Yeah. well, Slices of it or chopped or... I
0: usually quarter them, uh, but yes, I could slice them too depending on how big they are. And um, with something like pound cake, it's nice to have that extra, you know, a cake of any fo- sort. It's nice to have that, that juice that comes out. And also, if you do lime juice, the, 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 the liquid will be a very pretty color of, of uh, a strawberry color, actually.
1: If you were using, let's say champagne or something like that, that could all get sucked up by that cake (laughs) with the strawberry juice in it, right? (laughs) Then you'd think I was having dessert and be even more relaxed than if you had the dessert alone.
0: True. And I will say one thing, if you are going to make biscuits, that the whole thing with biscuits is, I mean, everybody has their version of a biscuit.
1: You're talking about sweet biscuits to make strawberry shortcake, that kind of thing, correct?
0: Thank you for clarifying that, Tony. Yes. You're welcome. And... You want to use buttermilk to make your biscuits, hopefully lard to make your biscuits. But if you choose not to make it that way, um, the one thing, the biggest thing is to use soft winter wheat flour and to not overwork the dough, you know, to make it to barely allow it to combine. um, Typically, what you do is you put your buttermilk and your lard uh, in the – oh, Tony's smiling again. Gosh, I wish you all could see him. Um, Put your buttermilk and your lard and salt in the mixer with a paddle break it up until it's actually cornmeal textured and then um quickly add the buttermilk um and uh it should be done on low speed and just do it turn it off i mean literally like five seconds worth and then you can incorporate the rest of the the flour and you know everything that's incorporated you can of course you have flour in there somewhere
1: so it's much coarser and it's not at all like working bread bread dough
0: Right, right. Nothing it's really, it's really, because to work bread. It's it's yeah, really a cake-like it's the opposite, product that you're after. Right, exactly. It's the opposite of making bread dough because yeah. you do not want to work the gluten. You do not want to form any bonds. You want to have it be as light as possible. And when you do go to lay it out on your table, again, this is the next step where you barely want to, you know, don't work. work it. yeah. You, you just want to put it on the table, yeah. and get it to the right thickness, and then gently you you prick the dough with a fork, um, and then you cut your biscuits out cut your biscuits out and wash it with egg wash and go into the oven. I yes. am
1: smiling. I'm smiling because I love biscuits. I do too. I love biscuits. And they, and when you do sweet biscuit, you know, with, you put like a little bit of sugar in that in that dough mm-hmm. and if you sprinkle it with powdered sugar and you're a little kid, I'm imagining I had this like green sport coat when I was a kid <laughs> and grabbing the sweet biscuit <laughs> and having it with, with strawberry jam oh. that my grandmother had made. Oh, yeah. You know, like you split it open, you butter it, you put the jam in it, and you stick the thing in your mouth, and and a biscuit that's worthwhile, it pretty much explodes when you're eight years old, (laughs) all over your green sport coat (laughs) with powdered sugar, and you just don't care.
0: Right. That sounds good. Oh, the other thing is you could uh, dust the top. When you do the egg wash, you could dust the top of the biscuit with sugar, which is nice. So I would do that, too, if you want a sweet – if you're doing it for strawberries. Obviously, you don't do that if you're having savory biscuits. But you could yeah. also put a little bit of herbs in there. I, you know, I don't go, I don't do that. But you could put a little bit of fresh thyme in, or uh, maybe a little bit of very, 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 very finely chopped lemon verbena. But um, I just don't do that. I, I like a just a good old-fashioned, straightforward biscuit that's executed properly.
1: Of all the different sort of sweet things with strawberries, and I love those traditional things, and and mm-hmm. you make them beautifully. The, of all of those things, the the sort of the one that got me the most once upon a time was a strawberry soup with chamomile.
2: Mhm.
1: Sure. That was cooked with a little bit of sauterne which has both acid and and plenty of sweetness to it and and almost and a honey flavor to it of sorts. And uh that and that that kind of thing finished with a little bit of crème fraîche uh, as a garnish. So you have like the sweet and the sour and a different kind of sour and fatty and the perfume of that fresh chamomile but I mean, it seemed like the farmers would give me chamomile like once every five, ten years. Mm -hmm. It's worthwhile that you can actually do something with, whether it's that or canding the the flowers to put on the sweet biscuits or to put on strawberry tarts.
0: Well, when you said that soup, it made me think of, I had a pastry chef um, that made this beautiful strawberry soup that was perfectly clear, um, just had a hint of fresh thyme to it, and um, she had some other ingredients in it, but she served it with a frozen parfait, uh, well, that's redundant. She served it with a parfait, and uh, that parfait had, I think, a little bit of buttermilk in its mixture. But oh my gosh! And then we garnished it with fresh fruit and fresh strawberries and uh, a couple of other little things. But the the having that beautiful strawberry soup that was made from our local strawberries that were red in the center, I mean, it was just gorgeous. And um, to have that little bit, you could even call it a custard with it, it was it was a perfect combination and really easy to uh, for someone to make at home because you know you just pop that in a Flexi mold. Um, you can buy flexi molds on the internet, and um, we did a, a circular sort of short flexi mold, and you just pop them in your freezer. And when you're ready to eat it, you pop it out. It will um, come loosen up pretty quickly. Uh, to To you know, it only takes like maybe a minute for it to become perfectly edible, and then pour the soup around and uh, whatever garnish you choose. But yeah, I like the idea of a chilled strawberry soup.
1: It's the kind of thing that you if you fruit soups. When when, the, when I first saw them, like in the 80s, no one actually wanted to buy them, but they sounded like good ideas. And right. picture chefs thought that's they true. were good ideas. That's true. And mm-hmm. then once in a while, somebody will do something brilliant that has like just the right garnish. Yeah. And it's more about does the garnish work with the soup as a, as a ridiculous amount of sauce than it is about being the soup. You, that's, you mm-hmm. know, otherwise you would just put. If you're really gonna make a strawberry soup, just put tequila in it and throw it in the blender. And <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's the other thing. I mean, you know, you talk about you know
1: let's let's get realistic. What you want after dinner?
0: If you're gonna make strawberry ice cream, I would prefer to make a puree rather than have pieces of strawberry in. I think that's uh, kind of strange on your palate to I have think that's pieces a, of that strawberry.
1: Maybe male female divide because oh, I you like, like pieces of strawberry? I like pieces of it. You know, like really like ripe tart. Okay. Bursts of strawberry in, okay. the, in the ice cream. I would
0: probably just swirl my strawberry puree into my vanilla ice cream as I, as it was as it was running, so that you do have a sense of oh here's the bit of strawberry here's a bit of strawberry. So you could do it like that where you're you're almost frozen uh, with your vanilla ice cream. So, so base. it have
1: pink stripes.
0: Exactly, and then you you have this bounty of oh here's a moment where I have the strawberry, or you could just. Cook the cream down with strawberries, puree it, strain it, which you would definitely want to do through a fine sieve to get the, that seed thing out. And, um, you know, again, this is where all your choices come in. Do I want to add a little lime juice to this? Do I want to add a little bit of alcohol? Do I just want it to be strawberry cream, vanilla, and sugar? Do I want to put brown sugar in? So there are a lot of choices there.
1: Two things. One, getting straining the seeds out from any strawberry thing that you work, whether making a sauce or puree, or soup is a very big deal. It is not great to have those things catching in your teeth as you go along. Mm-hmm. Um, one, two, sweet sherry. Mm-hmm. Sweet sherry, whether it's Pedro Jimenez or other types of like sweet Moscatel or something, oh my gosh, they can be amazing with strawberries and cream oh, in good. different variations. Okay. okay, Can be just amazing. It's because the strawberries are so fresh and like and the cream is so decadent and uh, that, that is you think of other light, fresh things as, an, as a pairing for strawberries and cream somehow. But if it's just fresh strawberries and creme fresh, or if it's just, I mean, what's, no one's going to argue with the bowl of ice cream and a whole bunch of macerated fresh strawberries all cut up with that. Right. That that glass of sweet sherry. A little cool, not cold. Okay. A little cool, a couple of ounces, nice and deep in color. And um, almost looks like a cola syrup or something like that. Mm-hmm those those kinds of cherries It can be amazing with as a as a final thought for a dessert. So any pet savory way you like to use strawberries? A
0: salad. So I do make strawberry salad and I think, you know, this is where you can do arugula or some a uh, type of green that has some punch to it, some hot characteristic like arugula does. Or you could do something as delicate as bib lettuce or butter lettuce, um, which would be very pretty. And I think you could do, uh, again, lemon verbena vinaigrette with that would be very pretty. Uh, you could do goat cheese. You could have goat cheese on the salad with um, strawberries. That's very pretty together. Uh, I actually... Also like the idea of putting, frankly, grilled chicken breast with strawberries because it's actually very, very good together. So if you were going to make a, sa- a light, a citrus fruit, so. yeah, a light summer dinner, um, and you wanted to grill a chicken breast and you just want to make a big green salad, I would do a very neutral vinaigrette, maybe raspberry vinegar, a little Dijon, whisk together, you know, and then drizzle in your corn oil, salt, pepper, and a pinch of sugar. Make a raspberry Dijon vinaigrette and have slices of strawberries and with maybe two or three or four different types of lettuces and your grilled chicken breast. Um, I would probably marinate that chicken breast on a little bit of fresh thyme um, and salt and pepper, pretty pretty simple. And um, that makes a really great dinner salad and you could add other things to it if you wanted to. But uh, I do like strawberries and goat cheese. I could actually see making a strawberry and goat cheese ice cream. I think that would be really good.
1: Once upon a time, Mario and I smoked a bunch of giant strawberries we got one year, very lightly <laughs> on uh, on the wood-burning grill, and swirled them into ice cream with um, wow. creme fraiche.
0: And you liked it? It was pretty good. Oh, I do like strawberries <laughs> with creme fraiche.
1: That was yeah. pretty great. Oh, good. Good. That was pretty great. When we come back on Formula Wolf on food and wine, uh, we're going to leave Strawberry Land and get into- uh, The
0: land of whiskey?
1: Yeah. It's, it's time to talk about whiskey. It's it's afternoon here in Baltimore. and. A few other places, <laughs> and uh, and in our third segment, we're going to get into a chef's challenge that may or may not involve strawberries and whiskey. All of that and more on Former Wolf on Food and Wine on WYPR. <laughs> Welcome back to Formula Wolf on Food & Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And Cindy, we, we knocked out the strawberry portion of the program. I think so. Unless do you have any, any, any strawberry leftovers you want to talk about.
0: Strawberry jelly. I think it's fun to make that. I have garnished... Strawberry
1: jelly or strawberry gelée? Jelly. Gelée. gelée de fraise. Oh,
0: oui. <laughs> uh, so I think it's really fun to make that because it can make a great garnish for a lot of different things and you can wow your friends with it.
1: <laughs> You can wow your friends with strawberry jelly?
0: (laughs) Yes. So it goes really well with asparagus and it's asparagus time. And I love, I I, I did this one other year and I had it somewhere in France and it inspired me to make it. And just, you know, you can even do this with cold asparagus if you want to have some sort of cold preparation and then just make the jelly and um, put it on the plate as a garnish and cut it into little pretty squares. And you have sparkles. That's there, cool. That's it. That's, that's all I can add.
1: That's the preppiest looking plate ever. At this time. In pink and green. Mm-hmm. So, all right. We were sitting at at, uh, at lunch and, and you started to ask me about whiskeys. Mm-hmm. So, and then so we're, we're, we're in a time when the world, like, well, not the world, but the U.S. seems like it's gone bananas about whiskeys. There's a great curiosity.
0: Yeah. And that's my question. What what has happened? Why do you, What's what's brought that on?
1: People want interesting stuff to drink. <laughs> um, so I think that the that, that, that the evolution of it, the timeline of it, the genesis of it came maybe mid-90s. There was like a rebirth of interest in martinis.
2: Okay.
1: And people were starting to be particular about how the martinis were made again. It wasn't just – I think that there was a bit of a break, just talking to old barman that I knew from when I was a, a kid, uh, and coming up in the business, drinks were pretty standard and, and pretty straightforward and pretty strong, <laughs> and uh, and there wasn't a whole lot of fuss about exactly how things got done um, in bars. And then just this is my drink, this is my martini, this is my seven and seven. That's a I might have a brand whatever, but that that martini interest and then. Martini menus, just the very beginning of that, maybe in the middle 90s, was happening. A little bit more creative martini menus, but still really sort of focused on martinis and a few Manhattans, just to kind of give a complimentary thing for someone who wanted brown spirits. And then it seemed like as time went along, then there was more interest in some fruity drinks, and a lot of the spirit companies, there's always marketing money behind the spirit companies. Um, They... They start promoting all different kinds of contests and drink contests, and people like there's a certain glamour in being a bartender or being a, you know, what I thought of as some sort of mixologist, or that's a. And then you turn around X number of years later, and there's an interest in uh, some of the drinks that are the old drinks, pre prohibition or directly post prohibition, things that are a little bit more involved, or things that had some exotic products in them, or. Things when things are made a little more artisanally at times, whether it's individual bitters and their bars making bitters and things like that now for themselves, or liqueurs on their own. People have been making flavored vodkas for themselves for some years. All right, yeah. mm-hmm. So, anyway, um, in the end, Americans like whiskey as a general flavor, and it has no lack of personality. It's just a matter of what kind. You know, I think that there's a certain amount of whiskey and wine are a little bit paralleled in that um, sc- Scotch whiskey was the dominant, like that's the upscale thing to drink, If you're, if you're, you know, especially like in a, in a male-dominated drinking society, let's say. And then all of a sudden people would be like, well, I think just like in wine, in the 70s, we all of a sudden believed that we could make good wine in, in the States. Somehow, recently, we figured out, you know what, we do make good whiskey in the States. It's okay. In fact, we'll spend a bunch of money on all kinds of fancy and small production and, and very seriously produced spirits done here in the U.S., as opposed to just, you know, sort of the classically ranked things of, of uh, Scotland.
0: Okay, so what, what is whiskey made from?
1: It's made from grain.
2: Okay.
1: I mean, the origins of whiskey in the U.S. have everything to do with avoiding tax, which is I always find entertaining. But avoiding tax and avoiding transportation costs. So in western Pennsylvania, before it was Western Pennsylvania, guys were taking grain and converting it into whiskey, putting it in barrels, and then shipping barrels on the river, which is a lot cheaper than taking grain sure. and bundling it up. Yeah, got it. Trying to get it to market in Philadelphia or in New York or in Baltimore, one of the one any of the big markets, you know. Mm-hmm. There are no trains taking them there. So this is all stuff, you know, early American economy trying to figure this out. As soon as Pennsylvania became a state and they started to have laws about what you could do and they started to tax that whiskey that was being produced, these guys immediately ran south huh. to Kentucky, Tennessee, and that's where a lot of that started to, started to happen. In cooler climes, you'd see more rye grown because it does better there. In warmer climes, you'd see more corn grown. But uh, in the end, the, the whiskey turns out with with rye as a base. And you figure those must be the two easiest grains to grow at that time and the most abundant. With rye as a base, you get a little more savory product. That's also the basis of Canadian whiskey. There's a certain time when people thought American whiskey was going to be Bourbon or corn-based and, you know, that rye meant was going to be Canadian whiskey. Rye whiskey had been driven out so much in the, or not produced so much in the U.S. after uh, Prohibition, especially after the war. People got very used to Canadian whiskey because of Prohibition. Okay. And rye was the dominant pr- product up there. But that's that's the more savory one usually. And corn whiskey, you know, what you think of as white lightning is, you know, corn liquor. Um <laughs> A refined version of which is bourbon whiskey, and and uh, Tennessee whiskey is produced an awful lot like bourbon, from you know from largely corn, and that's they're they're super famous brands of that, but they're also less famous ones. But part of that explosion now has been that whiskey is being made all over the U.S., in Colorado, or in and that's new Iowa, relatively new. Okay, relatively new, or or in Iowa. Uh, there's a great rye whiskey producer. In Virginia, there are more guys. There's folks all over the place.
0: Okay. And then if you m- move to Canada, so what are you saying sort of the differences are between American and Canadian whiskey?
1: Canada, usually you get a more mild and more savory product. Okay. And there's are sort of old-fashioned brands. there. something a little more, uh, quote-unquote, refined, something maybe on the road to Scotch whiskey. They originally were competing with blended Scotch whiskey, Scotch whiskey is made from barley, and that gives you a savory product also. And the whiskey ends up being it, whiskey is the conversion of that grain, and anything you do to the grain along the way, and how it is heated is going to affect the way that it's flavored. So using using peat fires, <laughs> you know that's in Scotland is very wow. different than yeah. using sure. charcoal or coal or wood fires in the states. Okay. Um, but peat is what they had to burn, and that's the old tradition there. And so that flavor, that aroma, is going to be part of what those products are. That's
0: what makes Scotch whiskey so yeah. distinct. Is that or Th-
1: that is in the water? The water. Okay. The water is so much like brackish seawater that is in the groundwater in different parts of Scotland. The closer you are to the islands, usually the stronger, more mineral, more you know, more sea flavored. okay if that makes sense more literally saltier um, those spirits can be a lot of times you'll want more peat it's a little bit like you're keeping up with the strong flavor of the water the mineral flavor in the water that's that's native to that area that's part of the spirit because even even a cask strength there's there's influence of all of the atmosphere on uh, any humidity is is all from that same place along the seacoast whiskeys in the highlands are not going to be as influenced by the sea. Sure. If that makes sense.
0: Sure. So what do they store whiskey in?
1: Barrels. Oak? Wooden barrels. Okay. The old tradition in Scotland is bourbon barrels because they're inexpensive, and all the flavor had gone, all that vanilla flavor had already gone into the corn liquor pretty much, so they had a pretty neutral product. But now there's all kinds of exotic shifting of you know, this these guys are going to finish one barrel of this malt uh, single malt whiskey, a particular malt whiskey from a certain town. You know, with uh, with the barrel from some winemaking chateau in Bordeaux, um, or these guys are going to finish uh, with sherry barrels, or these guys are going to finish this particular whiskey in the states with a with a certain kind of barrel. It's the more and more, you know. Defined cocktails of production, basically.
0: That's some good recycling. It, <laughs> That's pretty cool. It, it is. I didn't it's know pretty, they did that.
1: It's pretty interesting. Yeah, I that mean. is
0: interesting. So what are some of your favorite? I, I'm, I'm curious about scotch whiskeys. What are some of your favorites?
1: Well, it's scotch whiskey, there are two types. They're blended whiskeys that are meant to be um, very consistent and very smooth and somewhat not more than medium in body, let's say, and something that you might mix whether with water or with uh seltzer sparkling water that sort of a thing and people use those spirits for cocktails too sometimes those those spirit, there there are lots and lots of like sort of classic brand names that you see that are it was funny you you would know what part of the US you were bartending in you know when I, when I was a kid and I was first learning mm-hmm. Uh, to work behind a bar, you would know what part of the per- the US the person was either from or where you were bartending mm-hmm. based on the blended whiskey that they chose. Because J and B was a brand for an area and an era, Cuddy Sark for an area and also an era, you know, Johnny Walker Red and, and Dewar's and all these kind all these old brands and, and famous Grouse is a different thing and Ballantine's is a different it's funny how many different particular brands there were, and I think almost a little bit like cigarette brands. is like once you're stuck on that one, and I think it's a little bit the culture of a lot of the time of when those are really dominant spirits. Malt whiskeys are different in that blended whiskeys are made up of kind of a cocktail of neutral whiskeys and malt whiskeys from certain places. So that big house, you know, say... Cindy Lou, who's Whiskey House, uh, which is a very famous blended malt, blended Scotch whiskey, uh, is made up of half-neutral, relatively neutral Scotch whiskey that's that's young and relatively strong-flavored, these three single malts from different areas. Uh, some Glenlivet, some Talisker, some uh that make up a certain cocktail, a certain flavor that's consistent. It it gives it an edge without giving it, you know, like a tear your head off. Malt whiskeys are very individual and you usually serve them room temperature, like a drop or so of very cold water and just enough water to kind of wake them up almost like the canning wine. It just, it gets a reaction in the the spirit. And if you do that in in a relatively focused glass, not a big snifter, in a small but kind of focused glass, Um, and not a tulip like a wine glass either, Um, then you'll get a lot aromatically from those spirits and that will follow through on the palate and usually those are much bigger bodied spirits and where they're from has a lot to do with what their flavors are and the decisions made by the distiller in what wood to keep them in, how long to keep them in wood. You know, th- that that's the other sort of big factor.
0: Well, that's a huge financial commitment for them to keep it, it in wood for whatever, what kind of the range of amount of years they would do that.
1: Malt whiskeys, you rarely see them less than eight years. Oh, wow, you, that's a very long you, time. You will see. Once you get past 12 or 14 years, it's pretty unusual. Mm. Um, I don't know that I often prefer older malt whiskeys. I like the sort of bloom of the fruit, I like that the bounciness, um, the the sweetness to be there with the savory thing. Just like when wine kind of loses its primary flavors over time, and the whiskey can lose a little bit of that as well and just give you all those secondary aromas and flavors, which is very interesting and intellectually satisfying, but maybe not quite as gustatorily satisfying, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. The uh, I propose... Strawberry whiskey <laughs> sours for Mother's <laughs> Day. I think people should be making those immediately. So, you know. how would you make that? Uh, a classic sour recipe. So, you need your citrus juices. Okay. Okay. Lemon, lemon, orange, lime, if you want, as much as you're in love with limes. Mm-hmm. The uh, lots of fresh strawberry. I, I would honestly probably add a little bit of if you have nice mint, a little bit of fresh chopped mint. Um, but all of that as part of the base. For me, I'd sneak in a little bit of Cointreau in that base. I love Cointreau. That's and cool. For just a tiny bit of sweetness. Okay. Because I'm not going to use any simple syrup in this. I'm going to count on the fruit to, you know, to, to sweeten that up. Um, then I'm going to add the whiskey that I'm going to use. I'm going to use a corn liquor. I'm going to use a, a bourbon whiskey and something that's, that's real mellow and she's some oak. And so that it shows some of that vanilla off, uh, maybe Woodford, something like that. Something good. It's, you know, you want if mom's gonna have two whiskey sours and be a little, little relaxed. You want it to be <laughs> on good spirits. Sure. The um, and then, but there's your there's your base. You would shake that with egg whites, ah. so have nice fresh egg whites. Okay. Yeah. Would you make you be making those individually and and serving them in a little tulip glass?
0: So you shake it and strain it.
1: You shake it, Ooh, strain it.
0: That sounds good.
1: Yeah. And, wow, uh, and, a, and into like a little that. tulip glass and uh, maybe a nice strawberry garnish in that, mm-hmm. in that tulip glass. Okay. I don't think, to me, that's not a drink to have on ice. Okay. Just because I, I, I want to get the flavor right and drink it. I don't want to.
0: Got
2: it. Okay.
1: You know, that, have it begin to dilute as I go along. That's sort of a shame. When we come back on Formula Wolf on Food and Wine, we'll be getting into our Chef's Challenge on WIPR. Welcome back to Forman and Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Forman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. Cindy, are you are you prepared for the Chef's Challenge?
0: Uh huh. There.
1: Are, are you sure? <laughs> yes.
0: Yes. Let's do it. All right. I'm going first. Okay. Of course you're going sounds first. Good. Okay. Ladies first.
1: Let's, ladies first. And I made it. Okay, okay. Now there's a, there's a bit of a scenario. <laughs> Gosh. Okay.
0: Uh, what's the okay. scenario?
1: Scenario is that your oven doesn't work.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: But these are real life things that happen in people's houses. Sure. So that's
0: fine. I can handle I- everything it. Everything else works. Hey, I'm up, I'm up to the challenge.
1: <laughs> okay. But, no uh, oven. But, but, okay. But your oven is out. Okay. That's it? That's it? That's the only scenario? That's, okay. All right. Well, like I say, you got to change some light bulbs or something, but <laughs> I, I think that's really not.
0: All right. So I have new potatoes. Strawberries. Wow. Chives, walnut, bitter. What's that?
1: Walnut bitters.
0: Bitters. Kirschwasser. Yeah.
1: Kirschwasser is an eau de vie. Made from cherries.
0: Oh, goody. Black-footed chicken with all.
1: <laughs> that means it's the whole thing. You get everything. You get the head. You I get love the chicken. Liver. Oh, my God. You I love black-footed chickens.
0: All right, that's cool. Fresh morels, baby fennel.
1: I'll say it's it's been...
0: It says a baking no. pantry. Why would I need that if I don't have an oven? First first lettuces, not second, third, or fourth lettuces, but the first ones. Frise. That's correct. It, it says frisee, red romaine. That's all I have. White chicken broth. And green almonds. That's nice.
1: White, white chicken broth, meaning the bones are not browned.
0: Right. And fresh strozzapreti. Does anyone know what that is? Yeah. <laughs> Only Tony. What is that? Tony? No,
1: no. Any, S- any. any good Italian Catholic, did I say it right? Yeah. Strozzapreti. I did. Apparently, it, it means priest chokers. What? It's a nickname of a pasta shape. Okay. You take oh, imagine gosh. like imagine cutting a long noodle,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: then turning it on itself. It's a little bit like.
0: A long noodle turned on itself.
1: Yeah. It could be a very hopeful ribbon. It could also be like a garrote. <laughs> a
0: very ho- Oh, boy. All right. Okay. okay so nope. All right.
1: It I was an invention of the, keep of the Jesuits. Yeah, Sorry. Keep
0: talking. Keep talking. Th- I'll be thinking while you're talking. They were busy. They were, mm-hmm.
1: Busy. Mm-hmm. They were okay. busy trying to.
0: The Jesuits did this?
1: It was busy. The Middle Ages were a busy time. So that the Italians, being the Italians, they, they named all the pastas for the shapes of the natural world. <laughs> and also fewer jokes.
0: I like the idea of the green almonds with the chicken. So, and I really want to show off the morels. And instead of doing the obvious, I'm going to put the morels with the salad.
1: Oh, good. Don't do the obvious.
0: <laughs> so the frisee and the red romaine uh, will be the base of my salad. And I will clean that and get that ready to go. And I'm going to finally shave baby fennel. I'm going to mix it with lime juice because I like it so much. I'm going to... Uh, Hooray
1: for lime juice.
0: <laughs> salt and pepper as well and with uh, shaved fennel. And I'm going to do that right before I plate the salad. And uh, I'll quarter the strawberries and toss them in a little bit of the Kirschwasser. I, I don't know what walnut bitters taste like. I mean, I assume it tastes like walnuts. Walnuts. But, um, bitter. I'm going to add a little bit of walnut bitters to extra virgin olive oil to make the dressing. And that sounds really good to me. So uh, the strawberries, and I'll add a little bit of chive too because that will just give a little onion product feeling to it and will balance out the Kirschwasser. Um, so that's the salad. And then the uh, only other thing I'm going to make are, so the salad and I don't is have an oven. The baby so, lettuces,
2: um, yeah. the fennel.
1: Mm-hmm. The, strawberries the, the strawberries and the
0: walnut with walnut. I'm sorry, the strawberries with the Kirschwasser and then the dressing was made with the walnut bitters.
1: Extra virgin chives.
0: Exactly. And so I need to cook the pasta, so I'll I'll cook the pasta on the stovetop obviously. And um I think I said I was going to show off the morels in the salad and I just didn't use them, so there nope. you go. So now I'm going to use them with the chicken. I'll, I will uh, boil the – oh, when do I want to do those potatoes? I actually think I'll just go ahead and boil the potatoes whole, which is the best way to handle it anyway, um, in salted, heavily salted water. And then when I take them out, when I'm going to leave them warm. And as they're warm, I'm going to actually use – I'm going to use a little bit of that walnut bitters again because I think that would be really pretty with the potatoes. A little bit of butter. Uh, Salt and freshly ground black pepper. And um, since I don't have an oven to roast my chicken in, obviously, I'm going to break it down and um, I will just sear off all the pieces and cook it on the stovetop. So the potatoes are done because they're warm and they're getting tossed in a little bit of walnut bitters and salt and pepper. I'm, I've broken down my chicken, I'm searing it. I'm going to uh, deglaze that pan with a little bit of white wine and, um, and then I'm going to add uh, the chicken stock and I'm gonna braise the chicken. Meanwhile, while the chicken's braising, I'm gonna work with the morels and morels, uh, again, coming from the forest floor, Uh, need to be washed very well. So I'm going to wash them in a lot of water in the sink and just really flush them out and then uh, drain them really well. And since I can't put them in the oven, which is usually my next step, uh, I do that to dry them out a little bit because of course they're going to absorb some of that water. Um, Instead, I'm going to slowly saute them in butter with salt in the pan and work them until that wa- natural, the, all that water comes out, and they begin to caramelize. And uh, I'm also going to cook that pasta, uh, the strozzopretti, and um, when that's done, I'm going to toss it with the morels, serve it with the warm potatoes as well, and um, add the pieces of chicken. I will end up reducing down the braising liquid from the chicken a little bit, and then I'm going to garnish with the green almonds.
1: Now, okay, so you're, you have the salad... You had the chicken with the uh, stozo and the morels. And the potatoes. And, and the green almonds. And the and potatoes. And the potatoes. mm mm-hmm. So the potatoes is part of the garnish with the Actually, you know what? And now that
0: I think about it, I could have just added those potatoes to the braising and not had to even cook them separately. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely what I would have really done. Put yeah, them in at the end of the braising process. And we were just talking about braising and um, a moment ago. And I just want to make sure that everybody understands that you can braise in the oven or on the stovetop.
1: So you braised the chicken broken down in pieces. I did. I after, seared it first. After yeah. seasoning, searing, Yeah. and then use the white chicken stock to braise it.
0: Right, and, and a little bit of white wine. And the thing is is with braising, the idea of braising is simply breaking down a tough piece of meat. And in this case, of course, a chicken isn't a tough piece of meat, but it does make a great braised dish. And, uh, again, braising is just immersing in liquid and cooking very slowly. So it could be done on the stovetop or in the oven. Okay. All right. Okay. Your turn. Wild rockfish.
1: That's what you have on your list here. I, I know. A whole, a whole chicken. It's just
0: funny that we both did chicken.
1: <laughs> garlic, garlic. Well, I gave you a specifically nice oh, chicken. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, whatever. You have just like whole <laughs> chicken. I'm Bob the chicken. <laughs> yes. um, garlic, morels, strawberries, thyme, carrots, red, beret, red beets.
0: Red berets. It's <laughs> a great yeah, food ingredient. Bastille
1: days in, in July. <laughs> Onion, shallot, extra virgin olive oil, any stock. Whiskey, cream, eggs, vanilla, flour. Hmm. Well, well, well.
0: So we, we've we've duplicated two ingredients: morels yeah. and chicken.
1: Yeah. This is well. It's, it's it's the time of the year. to Think is. about that stuff. Mm-hmm. What to do with this rockfish is going to be that. That's the single biggest question that I have. There's only so much stuff to play with with the rockfish. Um. Hmm. If I I do fillets on the rockfish, morels cleaned up and roasted. So they have really good concentrated flavor. Making a warm vinaigrette. Oh, that's
0: that's right. Your oven works. I didn't give you a situation. Well, give me a situation. No, I
1: don't want to. Go ahead. Good Lord. You already gave me the ingredients are enough of a situation, okay? (laughs) There are no fish garnishes. (laughs) So making a warm vinaigrette with a little bit of the shallot and the roasted morels. Uh, and a little bit of white chicken stock, which instead of any stock. So a little bit of white chicken stock, give it some body, and fresh thyme. And uh, I'm going to roast that whole that whole rockfish, and cool it, slice fillets from the sides, and then garnish it with the uh, morels and the mm-hmm. warm vinaigrette. So light, nice. I would put a little bit of butter on that, but I've not been given butter, so I'm not going to do that. Um, you just like that? I'm w- looking for butter, and it's not there. All right, whole chicken. The, the strawberries are kind of an easy thing because it's you, you, you're going to make some kind of uh, you have cream, eggs, vanilla, and flour. If I have any other stuff in a baking cabinet, sure, I'm going to make a you make like an easy roulade. You know, you can just make a nice genoise. Uh, mm-hmm. On a on a sheet, and then do the whipped cream, flavor the whipped cream with the whiskey, the strawberries. You could have ma- you, could, you could roast a little bit, uh, macerate them afterwards, and a little bit of simple syrup. Lay them on top of the cream, then roll that guy. The sort of giant ho ho that a roulade <laughs> is. <laughs> I love roulade. And uh, I think that strawberry whiskey uh, that strawberry whiskey roulade would be pretty fun with vanilla cake. Uh in between there, um you need a whole chicken that you can roast. you have carrots, you have beets, I guess just tourneying those guys, uh lots of onion and shallot, and yeah, it's gonna be very a very straightforward meal beets, carrots, onions, all roasted with the chicken. The trick with the the trick with the chicken is just how well can you get it seasoned, and if you have some fat. Good fat in the pan, even if it's just the chicken itself. Mm-hmm. If you've got to render some fat from the legs of those of of that bird to get some fat on that pan, so you can begin to baste it in its own flavor. And when you season the chicken, you have to get into between joints without separating the joints. You got to get inside the bird really well. You got to let it let it come out of the fridge for long enough to to not be you know. 35 degrees, mm-hmm. and actually absorb some of that salt. And if you have a little bit of <coughs> vinegar handy when you go to roast it, when you're roasting that bird in a nice heavy pan, because um, it you you know, doesn't need to go forever. It'll take most of an hour. But the first I always start the first 15, 20 minutes on the range top in that heavy pan and baste the entire time just trying to get that that flavor of the initial fat that comes off of it to coat and give a good crust on the entire bird. And you're also distributing that, that juice and distributing that salt that's coming out right away back again into the bird. And when you want the browning to stop you just add a little bit of vinegar into the basting liquid. It could be just cider vinegar or tarragon vinegar or or champagne vinegar, red wine vinegar, whatever it might be. Um, and, and then make that part of your basting before it goes back in the oven when it goes into the oven rather, and when it goes in the oven, then you're three fifty for depends on the size of the bird. I mean that's the that's the reality. If you if you get it to where you're using a thermometer and you should, if you get it to where if it's one sixty five in the thick part of the thigh, and it will cook up another five, seven degrees while it's resting out of the oven. Go ahead and get it out of there. Put a piece of foil on top of it.
0: Well, yeah, and also rest up. Checking the juices running clear is another good indication of a cooked chicken.
1: I think the other fun thing to do might be if you roasted those vegetables all in the pan, you could do while that chicken rests. you could take the the beets and the carrots and slice them very thin, lay them out really beautifully on a platter mm-hmm. and uh and then with that chicken as well, you rest it nicely. It's gonna take five, seven minutes to rest it really nicely, break it into the parts. And, you know, bone out the, the legs, the drumsticks and the thighs, tuck them underneath in the mm-hmm. center, and then slice thin, if you have good the knife skills for it, slice thin those those breasts and put it all back together without the bones on the top of the center of that pretty platter with the colors from the beets and the colors from the carrots. And you have a very easy thing for your guests to deal with. Yeah. Yeah, would be nice. Would be nice. And you have your, your little uh, strawberry ho-ho afterwards and... <laughs>
0: And your whiskey, strawberry whiskey whiskey. sours to start, right? Exactly right. Sounds good.
1: Exactly right. I think that's all we have time for on Foreman and Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. If you would like to listen to this program or any other program on our podcast, you can go to the WYPR site and look up the Foreman and Wolf page. Uh, That's wypr.org. And you can download the program that you want to listen to. If you'd like to send us questions or comments, please email us foremanwolf at WYPR.org. If you want to follow Chef Cindy Wolf on social media,
0: you can follow me on Twitter as Chef Cindy Wolf and
1: on Instagram as Chef Wolf. Yeah, I'm the real Tony Foreman on Instagram. That
0: always <laughs> makes me laugh. <laughs> well, because it's <laughs> it's pretty cute, isn't it? Oh, it's adorable. Uh-huh.
1: Well. Okay. Thanks everybody for listening. And have a great Sunday.